continual iterative refinement and you think you end up That's somewhere the that's problem. better. Yeah, yeah you take and the wrong path. You reflect and you're like, oh, right. this is actually bad. You got bad. skewed somewhere. Well, the problem is, is that you don't have a reference. Customers from time to time uh, mention that once they like, they know our products and then they meet us or know us. That uh-huh. now they see like why it's designed the way it is because they they get to see the personality of the of the designers of the people that designed it. Mm. And um, you know, and it it's true. I mean, I've had this happen over the years with various products where they say, oh, you know, they talk to me on the phone or whatever, and they're like, oh, now I understand. You know the design, why why it's designed like that. You know, and it, it might be the type of music you listen to. It might be your personality or whatever. But they're they're equating you to the product, which, when you think about it, it makes sense. Right? Yeah, you do see this a bit, and sometimes it's not so obvious. But when you really kind of get into it, oftentimes the personality of whoever designed the thing, whoever it was made for, kind of sort of shines through into the final product. And the headphone industry, I think it's a great example of that because you could find some people that are pretty unique individuals in this industry. <laughs> and therefore have unique products. That's right. That's why you see headphones that are so different. Yep. And they're not really designed for the same function necessarily. Maybe the end result is they produce audio, but they're designed to do different things. And they got pros and cons, but they're made for different people. It's not just headphones, too, it's amplification. Sure. The sound of an amplifier. Well, you know. anything. Yeah. yeah, the way it's designed, the way it looks, the way it works. I mean, even the prices to some extent, right? There's some people it's like they want the best they could get for 100 bucks, 200 bucks. I remember years ago um, I did a show, uh, a trade show with uh, Mark O'Brien from Rogue Audio. And they make like you know, lower cost, nice, well, rel- relatively value-oriented Yeah, value-oriented. Not low cost. Yeah, not yeah. low cost, but I'm saying relatively value-oriented where you, know, you get 100 watts of an amp for relatively inexpensive compared to what in the high end would be anyway bottom line is i I did my first show with the man and so we're in a room for a couple days together Uh you know and as the day goes on and it gets toward the end of the show he starts to crank the living shit out of the system it's a two-channel speaker system we're talking you know amp preamp all that and things get louder and louder until the show finally ends and we you know wind up having a few scotches or whatever the hell we were having bourbons or whatever but the point was is that that you know when you meet the man and how he likes his music you understand why like he doesn't make 20 watt or 5 watt tube flea amps right mm-hmm. he's he's got a lot of power like you know the big monoblocks we got from them right they have what yeah. eight KT88s in or so or KT120s I don't know what it's per per amp they're like 225 watt tube monoblocks right mm-hmm. not too many companies make 200 plus watt monoblocks <laughs> so you just see the personality you know where he's like he's he wants to crank the rock and roll he likes the power and so he, he's made these toys and in, in part because that's who he is well it makes sense if you think about it of course typically when people are making a thing it's because they can't buy it at least you hope you know if you already have True. it from someone else what's the point so inevitably you you like to see a product that's unique in the market and it would make sense. It seems to be logical that it would follow that uh, you would make something that nobody else makes in a unique, interesting way that kind of sort of reflects what you value, what you're looking for. And 
I do think you could see a bit with something like Diana and twelve sixty six. There's a little bit of something going on there. They're very unusual. Yeah, they definitely have an. The they have their own attitude that reflects off of our attitudes. I would assume. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> in a lot yeah, of presumably, ways. Presumably, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, couldn't really tell you. Well, I mean, I guess. I mean, we made it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a beast, right? We ran it over with a jeep. Yeah, as and you do. I don't think there's any other headphone in the world that you will be able to run over with a jeep and and then give it to somebody and they you they they currently are using it still today. We know the guy that has it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he has no he has had no warranty issues either. <laughs> we put the challenge out there for other manufacturers to do the same. Yeah. And it seems like Raul sort of kind of took us up on that. They ran oh, over yeah. They had a little Did snippet. They? Yeah, they ran over kind a component. Of. Yeah. Oh. You know, it's like it was with the shell. It was kind of little. Right. Know. I like to see the whole headphone yeah, run over. Right. Right. That's the challenge. Well, the headband was a boy. <laughs> yeah. well, well, just a side cup. Yeah. So. It is kind of hard. It's still over pretty cool though. I mean, that's a, that's a tough it. part. Yeah, yeah, it is. It looks like a HP MJF or something like that. Maybe a glass fiber reinforced. And back in the day when they made real microphones, I think you could have run those damn things over those. You know those machined or cast aluminum mics that they used to have you know the the big ones you could probably run that yeah. over with a truck it'd be all right <laughs> right there's they a good design criteria round. yeah like almost like an egg in its design you know mm-hmm. but yeah i mean it's 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 true i mean well mics back then you know if it's going to be broadcast you're not like holding it it's if it's in the, the design criteria you know yeah. if you had to like carry it around you don't want a big heavy mic but right. if it's just going to be sitting on your desk on the stand then yeah they were like probably tipping over all the time falling from the stands six foot down on the floor and they were, the floor and, they, mm-hmm. and, they, and you just pick it up and it just keeps working that's right yeah you know so yeah real real mics well i think i think the best example of like a designer uh, that after you see them <laughs> you really understand the product better is johnny i right yeah because like you watch his little videos you know yeah and it's like yep uh sure seems like he made this uh design this <laughs> apple product you know yeah it makes yeah. a lot of sense because you look at him it seems pretty likely that he really cares about the aesthetics the design the appearance and he considers that to be a functional attribute of the component which to some extent is true however he also seems to be very willing to remove features and amenities to improve the aesthetics so Mm. yeah depends on the person some people value that enough that that is a characteristic they're looking for they want to be clean even though it doesn't really have enough ports sometimes Mm. yes yeah and other people exact opposite well you look at uh the supercars out there too it's probably the same thing you look at the owners of the companies like conan zag and stuff like that the dude is into his toys i mean you know he's really into his toys and he's 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 building it because he really likes to make shit like that well yeah (laughs) and they like to make every single part too yeah they're like we we want to control everything about our build yeah the attention to detail is just crazy just crazy you look at especially like the marketing material for any high-end brand where they actually could afford to do wacky stuff you look like what bugatti is talking about what they show you, you know, what they consider to be valuable in their product. Totally different than like Koenigsegg or right. any other boutique manufacturer, right? They're talking about kind of sort of two different things, even though they're sort of competing in the same space. They're both making like multi-million dollar hyper cars. Right? And I'm sure if you drove each of those cars, they'd have a completely different feel. Totally. Yep. Totally. Yeah. I mean, everything about it. Yeah. Even you know? though they're both like 1500 horsepower, you know. Right. You know, they do it a very different way. Right. Yeah, right. And it's strange because for whatever reason from the outside, a lot of people say, well, you both make headphones, aren't you competitors? It seems logical, but in practice, it doesn't really seem to work that way. Although sort of you're competing for the customer, kind of, you're not making the same product. 
And I guess it's to some extent true in a lot of industries. When you hit a high enough range, people are kind of like tailoring their products so much to their taste, to their preference, that um, it kind of sort of is so unique. Um, there really isn't direct competition. Well, yeah, because say. then what what ultimately occurs if you do have this sort of focus in a certain way that other companies don't have, you attract people who are, would who who enjoy who appreciate that. Yeah, are looking for what you, know, you look yeah, like. You're, it's your customer yeah. base, and they're really not interested in anything else. You know, they're not because they'll look at it and they'll try it, but the reality of it is they keep coming back to you because that's that's what they. That's them. Right. They think that part of you is what they're after, too, and it's part of them. And it's it's called choice. <laughs> well, I guess, like, in, in the lower end of, like, anything, it's kind of harder to design because you need to design for everybody. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not, you're not focusing on one thing. Yeah, right. So you don't have, like, a just a goal in mind. This is what we're looking for. Yeah, you can't you're, you're just, focus. You're just like, all right, how do we satisfy as many people as possible? Yeah. Yeah, yeah your focus is volume. How many of these can we sell? It's sort of the opposite. Yeah. And it kind of is counterintuitive in a sense. But in the high end, you're trying to make the best product possible. And most people would say, well, of course, you're trying to do that at all prices. But not really. Most low range, even mid range in some senses, they're trying to sell as many units as possible, which kind of sort of means hit enough checks for more people. You want to make it like the most average bland Price mundane being the biggest product. One. Right, you know, it needs to be, be a certain cheap. price. It's got to be affordable. Yep. It's got to be cheap. It's got to compete in the market on price, but it also has to compete on features. It needs to do everything everything else does. It's like scissors. Can you imagine how many $2 pair of scissors or dollar store scissors they right. probably sell? Oh, it's got to be $100 million right a year. Right. Like, you know, and then they just get bent or get shot. You drop it once, they broke. Yeah, yeah, right. You can just get another one for a dollar. But and the difference is, in the dollar scissors, you don't care what brand they are. You don't really care what nope. they look like. Nope. Nothing matters other than, are they, they cheap? Work. Do they work? <laughs> okay. <Yep. laughs> Sufficient. Yeah. So and it's not quite like it's that. It's a whole end. different kind of market. You know. But yeah, bottom line, though, is that you could see where uh, personality definitely plays a part in the in the finished product. And I'd imagine with larger companies, like especially when you deal with automobiles, you got so many personalities dealing with it. You know, the focus would probably be shifted toward whoever's in charge of all production, I guess. Whoever mm-hmm. had the vision. I mean, I don't know, like with Apple, you said Johnny Ives, right? But I mean, he whoever has control, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, he can, has the last say, you know. Yeah. Like the CEO, like, like for Koenigsegg, he is the CEO. So he probably and he the, would he would have the last say, you would yeah. think, yeah, and what it sh- what direction they should go, so. right? And then you got your engineers that, of course, are putting a, a twist, their own twist on it because they design a certain way. You tell them, you're, you're conveying what you want, um, but they're going to do it a certain way. The process, the procedure, the ultimate mm-hmm. part's going to come out a certain way. So that's got to take a lot of time if you think about it, particularly if the guy with the vision is very particular. Yeah. It's got to take a right. lot of time. Well, everybody, <laughs> especially after Steve died, everybody kind of sort of came out of the woodwork talking about how. He uh, ruled with an iron fist and whatnot, and maybe to some extent you need to to seemingly push people to do what what he was doing for the longest time because he seemed to make people strive for a product to just work. To do better. Yeah, to To do do better. To do way better beyond what you thought. Maybe it's technically difficult, but um, that was seemingly one of the attributes that he really strove for. I think, I mean, some people didn't like that, obviously, but other people I think really it was probably a life lesson for him when you think about it to work for a man like that. You take that with you, right? He's gone, but you got that with you. You're, you're, you've got to be more valuable <laughs> to other people. I mean, how many people they probably hired away from the company, but bottom line is that mm. you're learning, you're learning his personality in a lot of respects or 
his needs, and, and it was it was obviously successful. So uh, you know, I think I would think that would be an in demand situation. But anyway, in our little niche industry, you know, it's uh, there are a lot of personalities. Yep, you get some <laughs> sort of eccentric people at times, yeah. and I guess that makes sense because. If you're a regular average person, well, there's probably already a bunch of products that suit you. Why would you feel compelled to put the effort into make a company? Because it's very difficult, typically. I know in the two-channel world, the speaker world is the same thing. The oh, guys yeah. that makes the electronics, the guys that make the speakers, they all, you could, you listen to a pair of speakers <clears> and you know the own, the guy that made them or the owner or the designer, it fits them like a glove. Yeah, yeah. it all checks out. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that, it's pretty, because you know, it's like, well, they're best at this type of music, and he listens to that, so that makes yeah. sense. Right? Yeah, <laughs> some guys are into classical, and it's like, okay, well, that speaker's kind of boring and soft because they like classical. I mean, boring in our sense, yeah. where if you threw rock and roll on it, it'd probably, <laughs> it wouldn't be good. You know, right. you, want, you want something, you need like some couple, like a good four or five 15-inch subs in a room, you know, and now we're talking. So it's a whole different attitude depending on the music you like to listen to. and uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, everybody's trying to do the same thing, right? But differently. Yeah, right. So, again, if that fits you, if you're the consumer or the customer, that fits you, bam, you found your, you found your niche. You found, you found your company. You found mm -hmm. the guys that you want to. And, you know, I guess you see that with customers all the time. They, you know, they're guys that, that will always kind of use a similar headphone yeah. or similar brand. They kind of stick with it. You know, it fits them. Well, it mm -hmm. works. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, they like it. So. Until something changes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. What, like, which sometimes is experience. You know, they just get, they get, they get older, they get wiser, and they, or, or they, or their music tastes change. Or they have a uh, windfall of cash, and now they could yeah, that, buy whatever yeah, they that want. Help, that helps, too. Yeah, having money always helps. Usually it solves problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it solves but a lot of problems, yeah. Generally, every choice you make as a designer is a compromise. There's almost always some price to be paid. It could be financial, it could mean you have to raise the price of the product. It could be you can't have this feature or that feature. So finding the product that's designed towards what you're looking for, that's kind of an important thing. Yep. And that's really all people are doing. They're taking their personality into account. They're saying, what would I want as a consumer in a product? And what would I not really care about enough so I could put the emphasis elsewhere? That's assuming you're serious about what you're choosing. Some no. people, when they go to get something, they could really give a shit. Some people don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, as long as it's green, I'm good. <laughs> it is a little interesting because you, know? you could even see corporate structures. I mean, it kind of only works in larger companies, but you could kind of see like the the way the company works in products at times. Yeah. You look at like a product, like a mass market product like Apple or something like that. You could kind of sort of tell somebody had a unified vision and most likely due to the complexity was barking orders. Um, that's kind of sort of the only way this thing works, telling yeah. someone else what to do. And then you'll get some products, really niche boutique products, that clearly there may have been one or two people working on it, and they had a weird vision that nobody else was doing, and they went towards that. And then you'll get other companies like uh, Remats or whatever, the electric hypercar company. You could see everyone there apparently is committed because the product is so technical, so <laughs> engineering-heavy and focused. Um, and it's kind of curious how obvious that can be just by looking at the product. You know, it really shows you what they cared about when they were designing it. Because a lot of times you can't hide these things. If you're designing a product for durability, repairability, a lot of times it's pretty obvious in the end result. If you're designing it to be serviceable for a long period of time, well, usually it means a different design, different characteristics and features so that the end user could replace, repair, whatever. Well, let's think back for like 
years. Let's go years. back. Let's go back a hundred years. A hundred. Uh, yeah. Okay. I don't remember. Back what were they years. thinking when they made the original clothes washing thing where you roll the clothes through two rollers to squeeze? Uh, Basically, you dip the clothes in a bucket, or I guess that some of them even had some something. Well, that held things water. like that almost always are kind of sort of more or less just evolved around what's available at yeah. the time, what people knew, what people understood. And it was probably because those rollers were commercially available and they probably. didn't expect to have huge volume. It was before electricity probably too. Right. But I don't know, probably most people don't even talk about maybe we'll go throw yeah, a picture like of it. Things you yeah, ring yeah, your clothes you, through, ring, you ring your clothes through a I mean, washboard. The, the kind of it was the limitation of the technology of the day. Yeah. yeah. Nobody was investing huge sums of money developing new technology for a product like that because I'm assuming the thought at the time was it washes clothes. Who cares? Or, right? the, or the guy that made the first AM radio that you would put in your home and listen to a radio station, right? It was a five-tube. We learned this in, well, when I, went to, yeah. when I went to high school, we learned it in electric class, but the five-tube AM radio was the most popular. You only needed five tubes. Ooh. Someone had to figure that all out. Mm-hmm. You know, to to receive an AM station, and uh, you know, and and most of them were RF tubes, and then you had one tube that made amplified the audio. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that they simplified this thing down to the sim- most simplest form was that, and then uh, and then later marketing took over, and you had ten and fifteen tube radios because mm-hmm. people thought the more tubes, the better. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. definitely better. When all they did was stick them in there, and they were glowing, but they didn't get used. They weren't part of the circuit. They only needed the five tubes. They never needed more than five. <laughs> so, right. But anyway, but my point is, right, so that's a different personality there. Oh, let's let's make it glow like crazy, you know? With, yeah, well, that's how two, it always goes, right? Yeah. You have the basic function out of the gate, and then people realize, how can we make it better? Yep. And sometimes it's physically complicated because maybe you need to develop a totally new technology. In the case of like maybe an AM radio, it's hard to really make a 1522 radio actually perform better when it's already working fine. Right. Um, so maybe they just did it for the novelty because consumers could be easily misled into thinking it's superior well, yeah. it's like uh razor blades you know yeah, start right. out with one and now we're at like seven because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, it's better right, right. Yeah. maybe yeah. but you don't really know as a consumer how could you but you don't have any data i don't know every, it doesn't every work better one two three four five so six. it doesn't cut a sheet of paper test uh, no right. no no you're like skin irritation tests you know yeah. oh, oh for shaving yeah, yeah. but yeah. there's a lot of stuff straight like up that. shaving yeah it's very difficult as a consumer to really know and if you have large companies marketing to you, well, I don't know. Maybe what they say is true. Maybe it isn't. How can you prove? Yeah. But in our in our industry, it's like usually a few people in a company, and you can talk to the people that designed it, built it, yep. and then you get to know them, and yeah. you know the product better. Yep. Especially at the shows. Yeah. You yeah. understand their line of thought, how what they were contemplating, what they you know what how why the, it's designed like that, and you know you know a lot of people actually should. You know, when you before, just just as a hint too, just as a thing where uh-huh. you look at when you when anyone critiques a product, you should try to understand the direction it's coming from. You shouldn't just take it at face value. It's you know the old adage where you know don't take a book at, you know don't judge yeah. a book by its cover. Yeah, it's hard to do sometimes though. You know? It is, yeah, and that is definitely a reasonable point that people often overlook. And there's certainly a lot of applications where the design is just bad. Something just works poorly. Sure. However, I think people should assume that whoever designed or made this product meant well, was trying to do the best. And that doesn't mean they always get a gold star, of course. 
but sometimes they have a different perspective. They're trying to do something different than what you're looking for, and, and the product just isn't for you. Yeah, and that's something you should try to understand, though, you know, because it is, even though it does come from a different direction, it doesn't mean it's wrong. Right. It just means it's different, or uh-huh. it doesn't suit you, you know? I remember when we first came out with this 12, AB1266, it was the same thing, and, and even today, people are going, they put it on their head right at the show, we just did the show, right, in CanJam, and they were like, Oh, this thing's way more comfortable than I thought. Because <laughs> you look at it, you've never, but they've yeah, never, they've never put it on their head before. And right. it's like, oh, this is actually no problem. You always do that. You make assumptions. Yeah, just and by yeah. the look of something. Right. Yeah, and it's 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 usually usually you think that, especially at this level, that somebody's thought that through already. You know, it's kind of well. You hope. Uh, Jay Leno always likes to talk um, about how. Uh, uh, putting a, like an old classic car back to the way it was stock is always the best because like then it's the initial intent uh-huh. of the guy who designed it, you know? Because yeah. uh, things get modified over 80 years or something, yeah. you know? And it's like, well, this thing sucks. <laughs> and it's like, no, nope, if you put it back to the way it was, right? it's usually better. Yeah, I, I could see that. I remember years ago, back in the day, I always say when I worked for Bowers and Wilkins, here I go again, but in the mid-80s, mm-hmm. The 801, I think it was Series 2 at the time, it was a $5,000 speaker. People would buy this speaker, and they would go, and there were, there were mo- guys that would modify this. This is a 130-pound speaker, big cabinet, right? And guys would go in, and they would physically take the grill top off the top of this big cabinet, bore holes in the wood so that you could foot, fit as much shot to weigh down a cabinet, lead shot. They'd fill the top of the cabinet with lead mm-hmm. shot and cover it. And I, I could go on and on, external crossovers for it, where the big, massive box for each yeah, speaker mm-hmm. with a crossover with a shit ton of components. And it's, you know, and, and I remember one guy, we had a customer once, and he, come, he came to us, and he's like, he was practically crying. He's like, can I just get another pair of speakers? Because I've ruined mine. <laughs> he did so many things to it, and then he went to a store and heard a stock pair of speakers, and it blew away his... <laughs> 10,000 plus modification dollar modifications to his visitors and he's like oh my god I didn't even realize what I've done yeah and uh, yeah so it's kind of funny I could see where Jay's coming from where you know where he's talking about the same thing with old cars it's like this was the way it was made this is the real piece of yeah, gear I mean, not clearly you could improve on old things but you need to know what you're doing you know if you're just tinkering like, I've screwed things up you know oh, it's yeah. like oh this is it's way worse than yeah. I got I got yeah. you need to you have one. to learn yeah. yeah I don't know why it's always like that but a lot of times you improve one thing and you make something else worse, and maybe the overall differential is kind of negative, like you actually made overall the sound slightly worse, but you improved one thing enough, it's kind of like encouraging. You think, oh, well, I changed the sound. I changed something, now I, can, I think I could fix this other problem. And you kind of sort of keep going down a path of continual iterative refinement, and you think you end up that's somewhere that's problem. better. Yeah. yeah, you take and the wrong path. You reflect and you're like, oh, right. this is actually bad. You got bad. skewed somewhere. Well, the problem is, is that you don't have a reference. You don't have if you don't you have two, two the, another yeah. stock one to compare it to. Yep. You keep your reference keeps changing, right? And that doesn't work. You're in your own bubble. Yeah. You see this in every industry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, cars super common audio, right? I, I've seen quite a few people modify headphones, and there's like almost no redeeming quality. Sometimes they're better. Sometimes they're totally different. But sometimes they modify them and it's just worse. Well, the reality of is a piece of foam does not make a headphone. And you know that that that's well, the some biggest, people go away. That's the most the most popular <laughs> modification is well, yeah. let's shove a piece of foam or some sort of absorbent yeah, material somewhere. Quick tweak. But, you yeah, know, at, least, at least it's not destructive. Yeah. You know, no, you're right. Yeah. yeah, you're right. As long as you could put it back to the way it was. That's cool yeah. though. If you could actually unmodify it. Yeah. Right. right. A lot of right. people are like cutting holes and like filling things up with glue or something. And it's just so destructive. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, in the end, you know, it. Yeah. That, that, 
understanding the intent of of the designer is cool. It seems like once people do, they're like, oh, oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. and all of a sudden, whatever would concern them goes away. It's crazy <laughs> how that works. Strangely, right? yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's I guess it's one of those human nature things that. We seem to pop up in our conversations from time to time. I guess. <laughs> or we keep button heads against, I don't know, depending on how you look well, at it. Well, we have a very polarizing headphone, so oh, I guess sure. maybe we get a bit more than other yeah. people. Yeah, it's not exactly mass market no. appeal. No, I think that's pretty straightforward. And we kind of did it on purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was, it was for multiple purposes. Well, there was purposes. a design intent. Yeah, right. Yeah. But also, we knew that it would get attention because of its shape, right? And sure. It, and it started our company. Well, so. it did. Yeah, totally. And yeah. it's still here. We were in the wild. <laughs> remember, we were in the wildest magazines. We had cooking magazines that wanted to feature our headphones. Yeah. They were like, this is like wild. <laughs> you know, we had magazines, uh, people, all kinds of a uh, bunch marketing. of fashion magazines and yeah. stuff like that. Blogs. Yeah, yeah they wanted it in photography and photo shoots as right. a prop or something. It's like, wow, <laughs> we still get that uh, yep. from time to time. So you know, it's 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 kind of funny how that works. But yeah, people think it's cool. You know, especially the guys that are into their metal and uh, stuff like that. It, it fits the part, I guess. Right. So, you know, but. Anyway, that's a pretty good ramble. Yeah, we went on and on and on and yep. on. So, so yeah. Anyway, that's expected. Coming back to the beginning, yeah. Try to pick out the personality of the designer and, and anything in front of you—a knife or a a, a plate or a, a camera or right. a flash. Or, it works better in the higher end. Yeah, it kind of does. Consumer yeah, stuff yeah. is kind of there's a lot more thought going on. Made to be generic. Yeah, but that try try to understand it. Just try to understand it. And you'll 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 probably find it. There's a lot of cool shit to learn when you understand what the guy was thinking, you know? So take care, everybody. Thumbs up if you like this. Have a good one. <laughs>